Good day, my friends. This is Dan from Business Life and Ayahuasca with Daniel Cleland. And I just finished a great conversation with Dr. Dennis McKenna, one of our advisors here at Soltara Healing Center, psychedelic pioneer dating back decades, brother of the world-famous Terrence McKenna, all-around great guy, also known as Uncle Denny from the Soltara community. And uh, we talked about a lot of interesting things, including what Dennis is up to and got into a little apocalyptic visions here of what Dennis thinks is going on in the world. Very interesting conversation, and Dennis always delivers the goods, so I'm sure you guys will enjoy this. So check it out. And of course, this conversation was sponsored by Soltara Healing Center in Costa Rica. If you feel called to explore the wonderful plant medicine ayahuasca done in the Shipibo tradition in Costa Rica, check out soltarahealingcenter.co. We're also on social media at Soltara Healing Center, as well as what well, you can call us to at 1-800-397-1730 and uh, have a chat with us. We're very, uh, we're very open. So hope to see you in Costa Rica at some point. Thank you again for watching and we love you all. Oh, by the way, if you like this episode, please hit that like button. Please subscribe to the show. Uh, and if you have the time, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts because that's how the world judges us. And uh, again, we will love you forever. So thanks again and enjoy the episode. Cheers. We are live with the man of the hour, Dr. Dennis McKenna. Round two on, uh, so we actually, we changed the name of the podcast uh, from the Daniel Cleland podcast because nobody cares about Daniel Cleland. <laughs> and, and we changed it to Business Life and Ayahuasca with Daniel Cleland. So it's a little more dialed into the subject matter. Um, so today we'll, you know, we can talk about, uh, business life in ayahuasca. If that sounds good to you, Dr. McKenna. Well, I, I think, thank you, Daniel. It's, it's good to be back. Uh, I think that the, uh, name change is a good idea. Yeah. I mean, people care about you, Daniel. Don't think people don't care about you, but sometimes they're wondering, well, who is Daniel Cleland? And yeah. now you can tell them I'm the guy between, you know, behind business life and ayahuasca also happened to be the founder of the Salterra Healing Center, which is, uh, you know, people uh, people know about that. So, and it's getting a higher profile and really a lot of good notice, I think. So that's great. Yeah. Have you seen any, uh, any recent good notice uh, in uh, the media or any... Anywhere else? Have you heard anything about Soltara recently? Uh, well, uh, yeah, I I think so, uh, but I can't I can't remember exactly. But I thought you got a, a a heads up in the New York Times recently, didn't you? There was some article there about it that mentioned Soltara. Yeah. Yeah, uh, that was, uh, I, I think that was about a year ago. Um, but uh, we just recently actually got a mention on Jimmy Kimmel. Well, that's huge. That's great. Yeah. 
Yeah. You know uh, Megan Fox? Yes. Megan Fox, the actress who was uh, the star of Transformers back in the day, and her, her partner, Machine Gun Kelly, uh, they, uh, they were recently at Soltara a couple months oh, ago. Oh, really? And uh, Megan Fox was just on Jimmy Kimmel being interviewed actually by Arsenio Hall uh, like a week ago, something like that. Uh, actually, maybe even less than a week ago. And she went into some detail about her experience. She didn't mention Soltara. She mentioned Costa Rica. She mentioned Ayahuasca. She went into detail of her experience. Mm. Um, it was interesting to hear her perspective that uh, there was, you know, like that Soltara was like this rugged, jungly place, like not glamorous at all. And you had to, like, there was well, she just has an no inter- idea. <laughs> right. Exactly. Right. So yeah, that may be from someone coming from a Hollywood mansion. Right. But, exactly. uh, <laughs> but, uh, uh, we were plastered all over the news in Costa Rica. I mean, like every news channel in Costa Rica talked about Megan Fox coming to Costa Rica to, to drink. Well, that's fantastic. Can't, that's great publicity. Yeah. Wonder, wonderful. Glad to hear it. So, um, so you've, uh, I guess it's been what, I think the first time we talked was like back in October or something, the first time we did a podcast. So it's been six or eight months and, uh, mm-hmm. it's time for a check-in man. So, so mm-hmm. how, you, how have you been, how have you been in Canada for the past like six to nine months? Well, I've been, I've been pretty good. Uh, if, like everybody else, we're just dealing with the pandemic here. So even though it's been six to nine months, I'm still basically, uh, you know, things are lightening up locally. They're opening things up. I still can't cross the border, uh, but they're planning to lift those restrictions in the next month or so. So um, I've really had to kind of get used to being, spending a lot of time in my basement, Daniel, frankly, <laughs> which, is, which is actually okay. You know, I mean, I, I, I was ahead of the curve before COVID hit in the sense that I've been working virtually for, you know, 10 years. So this is not that much different than what I was doing, you know, even even earlier than that. So it's it's getting to be kind of a drag. I mean, I'm, I would like to go somewhere. But on the other hand, I'm content to stay here as well. And, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. Maybe. Maybe in August, September, we'll be able to do some traveling. I'm thinking about even taking a driving trip to Colorado to visit my uh, my relatives. You know, that's where I'm from. So haven't seen them in a coon's age. So I thought maybe that'd make a nice trip. But whether it'll happen, I don't know. In the meantime, I got plenty going on here. You know, uh, I'm not sitting around wondering what to do. I've got lots of things going on. You know how it is. You're, you're perpetually overbooked yourself. You know, one of these people that works 24 seven and then some, uh, I can't match that, but I'm staying busy and off the streets and I'm sure the streets are grateful for that. So, (laughs) so life is good. So how long has it been since you actually kind of left British Columbia? I left British Columbia. The last time I left 
BC was February 2020. Wow. Uh, just just before the uh, just before you know they got serious about the lockdown and the and the reason I you know uh, the reason I was I was in New York in February 2020 actually for the premiere U.S. premiere of Reconnect, you know, which is Brian Rose's film. That, I was there with you. That's right. You were there with me. So that's the last time I've been out of the country. Wow. And your your wife is uh you know not getting too sick of you or anything? Let's uh oh not so much. <laughs> <laughs> I mean she has done. It's it it's not it's not the central uh preoccupation of her life, unlike me. <laughs> I think the the central preoccupation of her life is probably food, you know. So I'm a lucky man in that sense. She's an excellent cook, and she keeps me fed, maybe a little bit too well. And uh, uh, you know, and and she she's a plant person, but she's not so much into psychedelics. She's a gardener, an herbalist, all of those things. Oh, but sounds we, like a we good get synergy. Along. She she recognizes the importance of psychedelics, and we have we have done psychedelics, including ayahuasca, in the past. But uh, uh, you know, she's not so much into it anymore. So you mentioned you have a whole bunch of things going on, bunch of different projects. And by the way, I appreciate your generosity by by uh, um, insinuating that I'm a hard worker. But uh, you might be surprised. I, uh, I I do high leverage things, but they're in low quantity. So, um, but anyways, you mentioned uh, that you've been working on a lot of things. So, so what are you working on? Well, uh, uh, a number of things. Uh, we we've been doing these online events. You know, I mean the uh, original idea behind the McKenna Academy is that we were going to do retreats and conferences and that sort of thing in physical space. And then COVID, you know, radically changed our business model, basically. So we've had to pivot and go virtual. And we've been putting uh, different events online. Uh, We had uh, recently, we had uh, Brian Murarescu, the guy that wrote the Immortality Key, uh, I don't know if you know that book, but it's it's got a lot of lot of attention. This is looking back at Eleusis. He's a classic scholar, basically, and uh, in, in I think 1978, a book came out called The Road to Eleusis, and Eleusis was one of the Mediterranean mystery religions that probably used psychedelics. And and they, in 78, there was a book published by Carl Ruck, who is a classic scholar, Albert Hoffman, the discoverer of LSD, and R. Gordon Wasson, the guy who rediscovered the magic mushroom cults. And they wrote this book called The Road to Eleusis. And the thesis was that, uh, you know, in the mystery religions, uh, people would travel to Eleusis, everybody who was anybody in Greek society, whether aristocratic, or, or not, would make a pilgrimage at some time in their life to Eleusis. And they would consume this, this sacrament, this beverage called the kukion, 
in this darkened chamber and they would have an amazing experience of, you know, obviously a psychedelic experience, right? Although they don't like to admit that, but that that's what was going on. This was a, this was a psychedelic sacrament. And, uh, uh, in the early book, they, they theorized that this was prepared from ergot. It was actually prepared hmm. from barley that had been infected with ergot. And very hard thesis to prove, but they, you know, they had, you know, they had what evidence there was. It was a reasonable idea. Well, Brian uh, kind of took up where they let, left off and wrote this book called The Immortality Key, uh, which looked at the historical roots of uh, not only the Eleusinian mystery school, but the Dionysian mystery schools around, uh, you know, Dionysus, that whole, you know, which supposedly, you know, the uh, the sacraments that were used in the Dionysian cults were wine. These were spiked wines. These were not 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 what you're drinking for dinner. You know, mm. these, these were, these were, uh, the wine was a basis for different plant ingredients, which probably included, uh, psychedelics of one kind or another and possibly nightshades and so on. So, uh, uh, he, and then these mystery cults were the precursors to Christianity. Early Christianity was, also happening in this area, a couple, a couple. Well, the Eleusinian cult was about uh, lasted a thousand years, you know, starting in around 500 BC and more or less ending around the end of the fifth uh, century AD. Uh, but in this same period, the first two centuries after, you know. Uh, after Christ was, you know, Christ's birth or postulated when it was, there was these, uh, you know, the early precursors of Christianity were also taking sacraments and, uh, you know, the whole Last Supper idea. And again, these were most likely spiked sacraments of some kind. And so that you kind of cross over into heresy because, you know, the whole idea, oh my God, you know, the, the actual Eucharist was psychedelic, uh, is uh, heresy if you happen to be a conventional, uh, you know, conventional Catholic. This is an appalling idea. But in fact, this is probably what was happening. So Brian, you know, through scholarship, essentially, a little bit of chemistry, a little bit of archaeochemistry, uh, but more just uh, drawing parallels and so on, wrote this very interesting book called The Immortality Key. Do I have it easily grabbable here? I have it here. I don't know exactly which one it was. Anyway, uh, uh, worth looking at, worth, worth looking at. So we did that, and then uh, we're, we planned some some additional events we're going to do uh my brother's book uh the food of the gods has been reprinted earlier this year so we're planning to do a one-day symposium uh sometime this fall we're not sure exactly when 
on the stone date theory, mm, which, you know, which was kind of the thesis of food of the gods. Well, there's new information now about that and that support the idea. So it goes from, you know, a completely wacko notion to plausible. In fact, more than likely. <laughs> and, huh. and so we're going to we're going to talk about that. I may may be able to persuade Michael Pollan to get on that. So that would be a great thing. And uh and then we've got these uh different uh different uh projects under what were long-term projects under what we're calling biognosis. In other words, knowledge plus gnosis, bio plus gnosis or sometimes the Knowledge Preservation Project. And these are focused mainly in Iquitos, and we're uh, working with uh, uh, Juan Ruiz, who is a uh, colleague of mine that I've worked with for over 40 years. And he's the curator of the herbarium at the University of, uh, in uh, at UNAP, at the University of Iquitos. And we're trying to... Uh, we're trying to document his knowledge. That's the first step of this long-term project. We're trying to document his knowledge of the medicinal plants of the area, which is which is tremendous, which is vast. But he never writes anything down. You know? <laughs> so he's one of these folks about which they say, when a medicine man dies, it's like a library has burned down. You know, and and one is that library. You know, and uh, he's not getting any younger. So we want to document through a series of interviews and so on. We want to document what he knows and we want to actually create, you know, to the extent that that can be done in a documentary. So we're working on a, a short piece, but then we're hoping through that to get additional funding to do a series on uh, sort of um, ethnomedicine in the Amazon or traditional medicine in the Amazon, a kind of a series that'll kind of create a snapshot uh, of what is going on in the sort of post-COVID 21st century, post-ayahuasca tourism, all of that. What is the contemporary uh, landscape, if you will, of traditional medicine that's being practiced around around the Quitos and Pucallpa and so on. So that's the second phase of our project. And then the third phase, much more ambitious, and we may not get there, but we're going to try, is, is to, uh, uh, to uh, work with Juan on the herbarium and, and through him, form a relationship with the university because it's, it's basically administered through the university, but we want to digitize the herbarium. Uh, what mm. do I mean by that? We want to scan all the specimens in the herbarium and put them on an online database and make them accessible to basically anybody with the need, researchers primarily, but it, it would be an open source database. Uh, and we want to make that available as a, as a, as a world-class uh, resource for anyone doing research on Amazonian plants. So uh, that's a long-term goal and kind of aspirational. That's going to take two or three years to get that done and uh, probably 
you know, it's going to cost over a million dollars. I don't know if we'll be able to wow. raise the funds for it, but that's that's our our aspiration anyway. Couple of uh, interesting projects you've got working there. A um, couple of things that came to mind. One is, um, I mean, obviously you and your friends your colleagues are really good writers. And if you're, you're trying to capture this knowledge from uh, Juan Ruiz, um, you can probably do that yourselves, but Mm -hmm. I'm aware of a company called uh, scribe. And the theory behind this company is that uh, Jesus Christ or Plato or, you know, any of the other philosophers, all had a scribe with them to translate their ideas and translate their knowledge into the, the scrolls. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, so if, uh, if the Academy is committed to extracting all of that knowledge yet doesn't really want to, uh, put the time and effort into writing it out, well then perhaps this company might uh, be able to help. Um, just as a helpful hint and tip that you might want to engage at some point. Second point that, uh, I actually was planning to ask you about anyways, is what is, well, you're, you're involved a lot more in Peru, uh, than what I am at this point. Uh, the friends I do have down there paint somewhat of a bleak picture for how things have turned out throughout the advent of the lockdowns more than anything, the pandemic, the death. Um, yeah. I think Peru, Peru at, at one point became the single leading death per capita country in the world yeah. due to COVID. Um, but not only that, there's been a lot of economic strife that has come from this and a lot of civil unrest, let's say, because people don't like being confined and they don't necessarily have the resources to be confined for long periods of time. Right. And then of course you've lost all of the business, right? The tourism business and the ayahuasca mm-hmm. business and everything else. So yep. what, uh, that's just my broad understanding, but according to you and your associates that maybe have a little more uh, intimate knowledge of what's going on down there, what is going on down there? Well, it is more or less, as you say, you know, uh, it's impacted, of course, it's impacted the ayahuasca tourism business greatly and and tourism in general. Uh, And because people don't have widespread, easy access to the vaccines, you know, these COVID keeps, you know, it, 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 it will start to fade away and then it will come back as these new variants show up. Uh, it's it's a pretty rough situation down there, actually. You know, a lot of economic stress, and some groups are uh, like uh, what I know from retreat centers. Some of them are surviving pretty well; they've been able to adjust. Others have not. You know, and it it is not made any easier by the fact that you know it's hard to get in and out there, out of there, just like everywhere. Uh, you know, if you go like as you know, in Canada right now, I could leave Canada. The problem is getting back, <laughs> you know, yeah. they, they, but that, that's going to be lifted pretty soon. Right now, 
if I left Canada, even if I just went to the States, I'd have to quarantine on the way back, you know, and they, they, they monitor it. And you can't just say, I'm going to do it and then not do it because yeah. they track you. But yeah, like it's Gestapo. created, it's created a lot of, uh, a lot of economic disruption in Iquitos. But life goes on, too. You know, people are trying to do what they can. And uh, and that's, you know, we're all looking for a day when uh, this virus is not going to rule our lives. But it's going to be around a while, and we're just going to have to adapt to it, you know. So uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, 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 fortunate, well, my friend Juan Ruiz, the, the curator, I mean, he had COVID. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, he, he didn't have access to a vaccine or anything, but then he's a botanist, you know, so he knows he knows plant medicines. And he said he was able to go to the marketplace and get appropriate medicines and make it make it easier for him. But, mm. uh, uh, you know, he's he's impacted like everybody else. Many he lost. He lost two of his siblings, two sisters. Oh, my goodness. He told me that faculty members at the university, they, about 30 of them have died. So, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a bleak picture, actually. Hmm. Wow. Have you gotten your vaccination yet? Yes, I am fully vaccinated. I have two, two Pfizer vaccines. And your wife, I assume, as well? Yep. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it took a while. We had to wait, but we do have that. So I feel better about that. I mean, I, I wouldn't worry about traveling, uh, you know, and and basically I, I do not understand. If you look at the epidemiology in the States right now, you know, of course, you look at the States and everything's crazy, right? I mean, from on all levels. But if you look at what's going on epidemiologically, uh, I mean, the people that are getting COVID now are the people that haven't gotten vaccinated. <laughs> you know, yeah. nobody else is getting it. Ninety-nine percent of the people in the hospital or the infections are unvaccinated uh, people in these sort of red states where, you know, the whole uh, thing has become politicized, and it's almost like, you know, I mean, which is inconceivable why there should be a a pushback against this. I mean, it just makes sense. The vaccines are safe. They work. Uh, but a lot of people, uh, you know, at, at least in the, in the, uh, on the right side of the red States, they are pushing back. And so that's creating problems for everybody because, you know, the fewer people are vaccinated, the more chances there are for these variants to show up. And then these variants show up and then, you know, it's very disruptive. So, you know, this is this is crazy. You know, I mean, you yourself, when you came to Costa Rica to set up the Salterra, uh, you probably didn't figure you'd have to deal with this, <laughs> you know. It's and a black swan event. It's a once in a century black swan event. And um, maybe it's be, maybe from this point on, it's once in a 10 year black swan event this type of disruption, who knows? I mean, we're moving into a crazy world, but 
Um, yeah, we did not anticipate this to happen. That's, I don't, yeah. I mean, I don't think anybody, I actually, I anticipated something to happen because something always does happen, right? you know, and it, it had been, you know, 10 years since the, the, the most recent big crisis being, uh, being, uh, you know, the, the financial meltdown of 2008, 2009. So I was really aggressively trying to prepare for something but COVID did sneak up pretty fast and it was, it was absolute and it was rapid in its, in its delivery. Yeah. Right? So. But Salterra is an example. You were able to, to deal with it. You know, you made the right moves at the right time and Salterra's doing okay. Right. But then yeah. Yeah. in Costa Rica, the pandemic is, uh, they have a good public health service. So I guess, yeah you don't have the rates of uh, infection that you have in South America. They, they're more on top of it. Right. And people are getting vaccinated in Costa Rica. Yeah. 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 It's also, um, you know, it's, it's, um, it's a country that has really one major city. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, And most of the concentrations of infection is in, is in the, the dense population centers, like in, in San Jose a lot of the country is in contrast spread out. So you've got a lot of people living with adequate space and a lot of, a lot of most of the country in this tropical setting live in open air buildings, right? Mm-hmm. They live in homes that have you know, screened in windows. They don't enclose themselves. They don't have air conditioning. Uh, so, you know, there's that being said, Recently, there was this third wave in Costa Rica that's that was very punishing to the health system. They had, a, they have, a, a, I think, a thousand intensive care unit beds, and uh, they were all like occupied. It was saturated, and then they 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 put some additional restrictions, and that was right after Semana Santa, right? Semana Santa uh, last year, you know, Semana Santa for those who don't know is is the summer holiday in Latin America, pretty much, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, you've got mm-hmm. Christmas, which mm-hmm. is the start of summer, and you've got Semana Santa, which is kind of the end of summer vacations okay. anyways, right? Mm-hmm. So Semana Santa, well, it's Easter, right? It's the same time as Christmas and Easter, the two religious holidays of the year. And um, so last year, Semana Santa was completely like shut off. Like it was, it was completely dead here. And that's one of the big uh, economic generators for the tourism business. That's kind of like the end of the high season. Mm-hmm. And a lot of uh, tourism companies depend on that to survive. And um, so last year they turned it off completely. This year they let everyone just have at it. Like there was, Samana Santa was wide open. And everybody went out to the beaches, everybody hanging out with their families and um and having a good time and then i think probably as anticipated there was a big wave of covid cases right after that right. and then so after samana santa happened they threw down like i think a two-week lockdown or something like that but um contrary to most other countries a two-week lockdown actually lasted two weeks <laughs> and then they right right they, they opened it up right. again um but yeah, I think, you know, there's a, a few different factors of why Costa Rica fared okay 
Um, it's right about on par with Canada. I've seen like the charts and in, in deaths per capita due to COVID. It's right mm-hmm. about like the last chart I saw was, I think Canada was just above Costa Rica. So pretty much on par. Um, but yeah, uh, you mentioned, you mentioned a, a, a comment there earlier about some crazy stuff going on in the States. You're actually from the United States. You moved to Canada. I think I recall saying because you didn't want to live in a country run by crazy people. So, <laughs> it had, that was a factor. That was a factor. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And so, now look, look what's happened. So, uh, yeah, we're, we do not regret that we moved up here in 2019. We kind of could see it coming, uh, even before the election. And, uh, you know, but it's been a long-term goal of ours to to move to Canada. My wife is Canadian, and oh, you know, I, I dragged her off to the states 38 years ago, and she never forgave me. So finally, <laughs> you know, we decided that you know here we are, and we're grateful to to be here. I mean, I, I think that something that maybe characterizes Costa Rica and and, and Canada that is in contrast to the States is there's more of a sense of civic uh, responsibility. I think that people, Mm. people in Canada, you know, there's not, we don't have the political and and ideological divisions in Canada. Of course we have, I mean, there's plenty of back and forth, but it's, it's not gotten to the toxic level that it has in the States. And I think that people generally uh, understand that vaccines is, you know, common sense, and and there's a sense of the public good. You know, what what been what will benefit the the people at at that level in the states? Everybody is selfish. You know, it's like my freedom. You know, my freedom. Nobody's going to make me wear a mask. I don't need any goddamn vaccine. Nobody can tell me what to do. You know, my body, my freedom. Interestingly, ironically, the people that are out there shouting that these are the same people that uh, you know don't want a woman to have the right to terminate a pregnancy if that's her choice you know so there's a bit of cognitive dissonance there there's a lot of cognitive dissonance uh and and in general i think there's just more sense of the common good in in canada you know in a sense of we're we're all in this together you don't get that in the States. I don't know how it mm. goes in Costa Rica, but I, I sense it's more like Canada than the States. Yeah. Uh, in, in that sense, yes, I think, uh, I think what you see here is, is, uh, do I want to say obedience or cooperation? Maybe. A Let's sense call of, it cooperation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I would say, I would say definitely a sense of, um, you know, there's an announce a press a press state uh, release or a or a statement to the press by the well. There's a national conversation. Let's call it. There's a national exactly. conversation. It comes from one source, and that's the the House of the President. And people generally, you know, follow for the most part what uh, what is said. They can be. Um, they can be uh, convinced to put the public good on a, on a, on a high level, you know, related to their own personal, personal uh, 
pleasure or freedom or action or convenience. So yeah, maybe in that sense. Um, I don't. I haven't been to Canada in two years, so I, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I haven't gone because I don't want to quarantine. And and I was actually really upset with the move that Canada chose to make of of putting people in a government facility for three days upon arrival. I thought that was a little bit extreme and I, I didn't want to participate in that. So I actually haven't been home and I won't be going home until the quarantines are lifted. And yes, I did get vaccinated. So I'm not trying to be the selfish guy, but at the same time, I don't, I don't really, yeah, I don't like the, the, monitoring as you said you know sure. they you're they force you to quarantine and then they calling your house and making sure that you're home and you can't even walk around the block and you know if the if you're not home they come over to your house if you don't answer the phone and then it's like a what i've heard was like a seven hundred fifty thousand dollar fine or something like that no no well it varies you know it it varies depending on you know how bad the wave is and that sort of thing but yeah, I mean those are those are pretty extreme uh, kind of things, but uh, you know I I don't know. I mean, what else can they do? At least, uh, I, you know, I, I think we're going to get through that. I think these restrictions are going to be lifted, yeah. but for the same reason, Daniel, that you didn't go to Canada, I didn't go to the states, and I'm yeah. like, okay. <laughs> All right, I, I can I can deal with this. This isn't so terrible. I mean, I, I you know I I think about uh, you know in a way how lucky we are that we you know compared to say Peru where the whole dynamic is different. People don't have you know they can't afford to not go to work. They can't afford yeah. to you know do these these types of things. So it's it's much harder on them. And I don't even know if there are vaccines available in Peru, even at this point. Uh, yeah. Did you say you did get vaccinated in Costa Rica? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I went up to uh, actually not in Costa Rica. Um, I, I Costa Rica is doing it in a phase and approach based on risk, mm-hmm. risk profiles. Right. So at first it was like plus 65, then it was plus 50 and then it was right. 18 to 50, 18 to 49 with high with uh, risk factors comorbidities and stuff like that and uh then they've i i don't think they've moved into the just total free free availability however i i went up to miami and i just walked into a pharmacy and got a vaccine for like 50 bucks or 70 bucks or whatever i got the i got the single dose vaccine um which one johnson and johnson 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 yeah So, you know, like for you, Daniel, that's, that's good. You're an example to the rest of us, you know, and I think it's important. Nothing happened. Um, You know, there, some people, of course you have a a lot of conversations with, you know, I've got a lot of diverse friends, especially people I've talked to in the podcast and, and you get a lot of opinions or a lot of anecdotal uh, uh, experiences. Mm Mm-hmm. Actually, the you know the the my podcast manager, a, a good friend of mine, he got the Johnson and Johnson vaccine, and he was like really sick for about forty eight hours. 
Mm. Um, he got, he said he's never been that sick before body aches and fever and just, you know, so he was telling me that as I was in Miami, we, we went out to do a podcast in Miami and, um, you know, so like you hear that and it's like, okay, well, there's a small percentage of people that have really strong reactions. Okay. But at the same time, you know, just get it over with and have the vaccination card in case it ever comes up and also just not have to worry about actually getting COVID or not actually getting, you know, dying from it, even though the risk is small, it's like, it's much smaller if you have the vaccine. So exactly. Um, you know, uh, I just went and did it. And even though some people I know, uh, had reactions or you heard about it on social media, you heard about it and from other people down the, through the grapevine, even the people in the hospital, in the pharmacy said, I might get a sore arm or something like that, but I got a sore arm for about 30 seconds and then uh it was literally nothing i traveled i might have been a little bit sleepy on the plane when i traveled that same afternoon but uh yeah it was it was not a thing yeah same with me there was basically no reaction you know like you say sore arm for an hour uh with both injections so it was there was nothing you know it was no big deal and i feel good but you know i think and now you're safe I, yeah, well, yeah, until until a, a variant comes along that gets around this one, but I don't think I don't think that's going to happen for a while. But it's it's interesting, you know, as a social phenomenon to watch how this virus has, you know, disrupted everything really, uh, all societies and and the differences in the way that uh, different countries are responding to it. You know, I mean, the, yes. the U.S. is kind of the worst example. Maybe Brazil is a little bit worse than they are. But, you know, uh, it's just it's just interesting to sort of look at the kind of the, the national mindset regarding these things, you know, and uh, countries like Canada that have a strong sense of civic, uh, you know, civic duty, I think they do better. But then there is always, I think, with these governments, there's always the tendency to overreach and, you know, yes. and then people resent that, you know. Yes. But uh, uh, this is the new normal, Daniel. We're just going to have to get used to this, you know. Uh, the COVID, uh, you know, in some ways, I think the COVID is the, uh you know, it's 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 the gentlest pandemic that we should expect. I, I think that it's the first of many, and it may be that the 21st century is going to be a lot about that. You know, I mean, well, I don't know. We could go off into some fairly dark places here, <laughs> but you know, there's a lot of bad stuff going on right now. You know, do you think this is the start of the apocalypse? You often the have these apocalypse. The apocalypse. Are you kidding? <laughs> We're in the middle of the apocalypse. We're in the middle of the apocalypse. So what does it, apocalypse mean slow, to you? It's a slow apocalypse. You know, I mean, it's not like there are different kinds of apocalypses or apocalypti. Is that a word? I don't know. 
I mean, there's there's the fast and the medium fast and, and the slow, you know, is, is one way to think of it. And the fast is, you know, some global cat- cataclysm that just completely resets everything, screws everything up. I mean, the obvious uh, example of that would be like a massive asteroid impact, you know, uh, which I don't think is happening. They're, they track these things well enough that they can pretty much tell tell us that there won't be a significant asteroid impact in the foreseeable decades. Of course, that always means, you know, there may be something that comes from, you know, when they're not looking that happens. But I don't worry about that. I think we're in the middle of a uh, kind of a, I think we've been in the middle of a slow apocalypse for a while, but now it's accelerating. You know, in a sense, we're seeing all the strains on the societal systems, the environmental uh, systems, the, the, you know, I mean, if, if you simply look at not only the states, but really all over the world, I mean, climate change is happening and it's happening fast and it is much faster than anyone thought. You know, uh, I mean, I know they've been talking about this for years now we're in the middle of it, you know, and now we're at a point where we have to adapt, we have to respond to this or not. But, you know, I, it, that's the that's the strange part. You know, these things are happening right in front of us. And, mm-hmm. and yet people are still denying that human activity has anything to do with this. And that's just absurd. But then you have in the States, you have you know, a demographic that can believe anything, apparently, you know, and believe that the election was stolen, as one example. I mean, there's no evidence for it. But you have a lot of people who, for one reason or another, buy into it. So I I think this is a, it's a kind of a sad commentary on the way that we can fool ourselves, you know, and that's unfortunate. You know, because we need people that are that can look at the reality and acknowledge that it's real and then think clearly about it. So mm-hmm. all this social media stuff that muddies the picture is not helpful, you know, and yet it's, it's just, you know, it's the meme sphere. You just have to deal with it. Well, there's there's I think a lot of distrust in general right now. Right. Yes. Yeah. There's. there's one side distrusts the other a lot of people distrust the media the world distrusts the american media it's just a it's a fact yeah um and and the media is well it's run by corporations who have agendas and they're in bed with politicians who have agendas and the message and the narrative that comes out is has been shown to be at least influenced by forces that have agendas. So, yeah. you know, I think there's a lot of, uh, a lot of distrust in general, but then at the same time, when it comes to something like climate change or anything else, it's like, do people authentically not believe it's happening or are they just denying it because they don't want to accept the implications of what would need to be done if it is happening, right? Like if, you know, there's, there's like, okay, well, we can just say that it's not happening, 
because that means we don't have to do anything, even though it might right. be happening. And even though they might believe and know that it's happening, it's like, um, well, if we just keep up this, this narrative, then, then we don't have to do anything about it or we can just delay it and push it. And I think that's, that's actually been proven, right? Like there have been organizations that have sponsored fake science to create confusion around, around climate change in particular. Yeah. Well, yes. I mean, there is a lot of deliberate misinformation about this, but you know, if, if you look at what's happening uh, on the global scale with these extreme weather events, uh, you know, I mean, you'd have to be a fool to say it's not yeah. happening. You know, I mean, this is equivalent to saying COVID doesn't exist. It's all a hoax. Well, you know, there are 20 million dead people who would disagree with that strongly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's real. Climate change is real. But we're monkeys, Daniel, and we're very good at denial and delusion. That's the problem, you know, and that's been a, the problem of our species for a long time. And, you know, you're, I mean, you know, for hundreds of years, really, you know, one way that societies, uh, uh, you know, react to, to crises, to apocalypse, extinction level events is to deny it's happening. You know, mm -hmm. but that's no solution because the next thing Easter you know, Island. You, yeah, you turn around and they're gone, you know, because they didn't wake up. And you're familiar with my shtick, which has always been, we got to wake up, you know, as a yeah. species. We have to wake up. And that's why I think we're so dedicated to ayahuasca and these other psychedelics, particularly ayahuasca, because ayahuasca is a catalyst to help us wake up to what's happening, you know, but uh, it's one thing to wake up. Then the next thing is, what do you do once you wake up? You have to wise up. You have to, you know, in the light of what you realized, what do we do now? What do we do next? And that's the tricky part. You know, I, I don't know, but, but it's important that, uh, people recognize that you know this this is a crisis there's never been anything like it and you know in the history of the world and uh you know if we don't get our act together we're not going to be around much longer you know current projections i was just reading an article i think it was in the new york times it was uh, kind of a contemporary uh uh uh, you know, a contemporary review of the state of the world that came out of the the organization, the limits to growth, and looking at their projections, they're saying, you know, basically by twenty four twenty forty, uh, there'll be more or less complete civilizational collapse on the global scale. Hmm. Uh, so this is, uh, this is not a happy scenario, you know, uh, but yet we are seeing it, you know, yes. and, uh, and, uh, uh, you know, like in, on the West coast, what, what are you going to do when Southern California and Arizona and these places run out of water as they are already, you know, yeah. and 40 million climate refugees 
you know, invade Canada because they have no other place to go. Not that things are that much better in Canada if you look, you know, climatically. If you look at, uh, you know, this BC. latest spate no. of heat waves, uh, Canada was hit very hard. Uh, you know, so I don't know. Uh, you know, I I don't know. I mean, there's, I guess, there's lots to be concerned about. What's your take on this recent disclosure? by the government of all these different events with unexplainable aerial phenomena. And do you believe that we're being visited by extraterrestrials and do they have any part to play? If so, do they have any parts to play in this slow burn apocalypse that we're undergoing? I think, uh, you know, for all the hype that was around this, this anticipated, report, you know, that the government was going to release. I mean, it was a big nothing burger, Dan. You know, I mean, they basically said what they've been saying for years, which is, yes, these things are real. Whatever it is, they're a real thing, and we have no idea what they actually are. You know, and and they're very quick to dismiss that they are alien spacecraft or transdimensional or you know because they really don't know nobody knows what you have is a bunch of fuzzy videos and you know things acting anomalously and there's really there's not much data and and so for the government to say well we you know these things are happening there are these unexplained aerial phenomena but we're pretty sure it's not aliens, you know? Uh, I mean, how can they even say that, you know? Yeah. I mean, I mean, I suppose it's, it's to not alarm people. I don't actually, uh, you know, I don't know what to think about it, frankly. I think that I, I have my doubts that it's aliens, you know? I mean, very much so. I, I think it's, uh, you know, I have no idea, frankly. You know, Do you but, think they would water it down if if they did have an indication that it was extraterrestrial spacecraft? Would they water it down? I'm sure they'd water it down, yeah. and that that may be why this report, uh, you know, basically has no information. You know, I mean, it's uh, the report didn't reveal anything that we didn't already know. You know, these videos have been around for a long time, uh, and uh, you know. Like I say, for all the hype around the release of this report, it turned out to be not much. I think, you know, I I, I just, whatever it is, it's kind of a uh, sideshow. I, I don't think hmm. uh, Interesting. that the UFOs are, are going to save us. <laughs> you know, I mean, even, you know, I, I mean, the alien space brothers are not coming to save our ass, you know, not anytime soon. They may take a look at it and, and say, you know, these monkeys, they're not even worth saving. So, you know, uh, it's it's hard to say. I don't I don't see that that's having any impact, uh, you know, on on the situation. But it's another example of our ability to engage in this collective delusion, you know, I mm. mean, 
as a species and as a society, delusions are comforting. That's why people have them, because they, they apparently insulate you from the truth. You know, whatever the truth is, I mean, it's hard to see through all the murk to see what the truth might be. Uh, so I don't know. It's just, it's just another thing to, to ponder, I suppose. So this one's on us then. We got to figure Pretty out how much. to navigate I think the we have to. I think we have to figure this one out. Nobody's coming to save our ass. You know, it's, I mean, Jesus ain't coming. The alien brothers aren't coming. It's up to us, you know, and that is quite scary because we're not stepping up to the plate and doing it. How far, how, how extreme does it have to get before enough people realize, you know, gee, this is really happening. We have to do something about this. By that time, it's too late. I mean, this do you is, think this we is a need conversation a full scale? we should have had 30 years ago. If well, we did, true. really. We right? did, they, and then everybody Nobody forgot. did anything, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Do you think we actually need a full-scale collapse or like 90% collapse to actually wake up and, and, and uh, reorganize? Uh, well, if it's, I mean, we, we may well need that, you know, I mean, that's a kind of a, you know, that's a kind of a, a downer kind of thing to say, uh, you know, people expect our message to be optimistic and uplifting and all that. But in fact, uh, this may be what has to happen. You know, before we do wake up, I do not worry so much about uh, life on Earth surviving. I think mm-hmm. life on Earth will survive. Earth is, you know, life is very resilient. Our species is not so resilient. And it may just be, you know, that the community of life, the biosphere, Gaia, whatever you want to call it, maybe reaching a point where it just comes to the realization that, you know, this monkey thing is a bad experiment, you know, Hmm. (laughs) and, you know, we need to bring it to an end, uh, whatever, to ensure the the survival of life on the planet uh, in some form, you know. So it's hard to say what's going to happen, but it's pretty clear that, you know, within our lifetime, and you're much younger than I am, so maybe not within my lifetime. But but soon we're going to come to the we're going to have to face the fact that large parts of the planet are going to be uninhabitable. You know, it, it won't happen everywhere at once, but it's it's beginning to happen. You know, and as these fires and and so on spread, it's uh, you know. It has it, it has a great impact, and the planet doesn't have, you know, it seems like there are no opportunities to slow things down, you know. So massive collapse on a global scale would certainly slow things down, and maybe that's what needs to happen. Maybe ultimately that will be seen as a beneficial thing. But the problem on the other side of that equation is millions will die, you know. And billions potentially will die if it gets bad enough. 
And that's a pretty dire prospect to, to think about. Uh, but, you know, nobody asked us what to think about it. It's just, this is what we're faced with. So, you know, and often, I mean, I, I, maybe I shouldn't even say this, but, you know, in my ayahuasca experiences, uh, you know, of late, I mean, I haven't had any basically since, since all the COVID came because my last one, but for a while there, I've been giving these pretty dark uh, scenarios on my ayahuasca experiences and these sort of apocalyptic scenarios. And, you know, uh, I don't, uh, and, 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 and that, you know, I, I don't know why that is, except that I do think that the, these uh, psychedelics are sending a message and the message is getting uh, kind of dark. Well, um, <laughs> I mean, I, I guess that's why you're so passionate about what you do at the Academy. Right. And, and you, that's what drives you uh, with the academy, the love for the planet, the love for the plants, the love for the medicines and the message that they send. And Yeah, it is. It is why uh, why I'm driven to do what I do. It's what you're driven to do what you do. And a lot of us in the psychedelic uh, space, you know, are motivated by this, that psychedelics are a catalyst to help us understand how how far out of alignment with nature we've gotten, how estranged we've become from nature and hopefully to heal that and, and bring it, bring us more into line. But we have to uh, come to some realizations. I mean, I, I think, you know, it, it, it's like, what do you do? You know, you, you just keep doing the best you can. You keep doing what you're doing. I keep doing what I'm doing. Uh, maybe you have to hope that that's making a difference, you know, that's. Well, I promised you that, uh, we wouldn't go uh, much longer than an hour today. So, um, well, you've said enough to bub everybody out. <laughs> <laughs> the last podcast was like five hours long and, uh, you know, you actually had to tell me that you needed to leave. So, um, anyway, so. So, so why not uh, close out on like on what's next on your agenda with the academy? What are you getting up to in the near future? When are you going back to start doing retreats in Peru? When are you coming back to Soltara? And uh, how are people going to participate in your life? Well, I I'm not sure about any of these things. One thing we are doing that's that's uh, coming right up is we're actually working with the one of our projects we're working with is the, with the Organization for Tropical Studies, which is based in Costa Rica. You may have had some connection with mm. them. We're working on developing a virtual online course in ethnobotany that's going to be quite a good course, I think. It'll be a graduate-level course, and it'll be something that anyone anywhere can, can sign up for. And in Costa Rica. Uh, well, the the Organization for Tropical Studies is based in Costa Rica, yeah. But this will be an online uh, collaboration uh, with them uh, that will be taught by my colleague, Michael Coe, who uh, just got his PhD a couple of years ago studying 
cultural keystone species in Peru, and that was mainly ayahuasca. He'll be the instructor, but we have some high-profile guest lectures, and I think it'll be a great course. So this is just part of our mission is to help people appreciate uh, plants and plant wisdom and that kind of thing. So we're doing that. Uh, we have the this long-term project planned, this digital herbarium project. And uh, as to retreats, uh, we don't know. You know, maybe this summer we'll be able to do some retreats in Peru. Uh, maybe I can come to uh, Salterra in the spring. I've been talking to Melissa about when I might show up. I do hope to get get down there uh, sometime after the first of the year. I can't tell you when, mm. but, you know, definitely want to come back. You deserve a lot of credit, Daniel, for keeping the place open and operational in, in the face of all these challenges. I, I, if I had a hat, I would tip it to you. Well, you know, it, it's actually not me who deserves the credit. It's the, it's the, the people who I chose to follow that, 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 um, for one educated me on preparing for events like this because they happen regularly. And if you think, you know, it's five or six or seven years since the last one, you feel like everything's good in the world and, you know, you can get caught with your pants down. So that was the one thing was just preparing for something and, and trying to push, you know, when we were in the red zone, trying to push to get out of the red zone as quickly as possible and then making some hard decisions uh, during the, you know, the progression of the lockdowns, um, which were at times not popular. But then again, following the people that I followed, uh, Patrick Bad David was a, a, a big one, Grant Cardone, another one, uh, you know, Brian Rose is also very helpful to me in some of the encouraging things that he had to, to share with me um, through the pandemic. So, you know, uh, it's really, it's really about the knowledge that you get and the, and the things you choose to, you choose to learn that, that, that are the precursors to all the decisions you make. So I really right. don't take credit for that. I, I give the credit to those guys because without those guys, we might've just, you know, we, we, we only hung on by a threat too. So, you know, it wasn't like, wasn't like we, uh, we, uh, thrived throughout the seven no, month no. zero revenue, you know? Well, you but can so. give credit to them, but you, you should take a good deal of it yourself because you, you had the vision and you stuck it out and that's the main thing, you know, half of it is showing up, you know? And so you've done that. I think Saltera, uh, I hope. all these people spam calling me. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, you had the, the clarity of the vision to see see the future, see what where it's going and how it might develop. So we just have to, like everything else in life, we'll have to say, we'll wait and see. Yeah. Yeah. So. All right, sir. Well, thank you very much for making the time on a Friday afternoon. I'm sure our uh, our audience and our Saltara community are going to be very, very happy to hear from you 
yet again. And you did a recent podcast on Tim Ferriss. That hasn't come out yet, though. I did. It will be released next week sometime. Well, yeah. that's just a double Dennis Burger right there for uh, for the audience, right? Yes. Um, well, we might even get... Uh, might even would you prefer if we release it after the Tim Ferriss episode or on this about the same time? Uh, why don't you hold off till after the Tim Ferriss episode and then follow on a week later or something like that? But you know, do it with your own schedule. But yeah, we want to. We're we're excited about that. I think there'll be. Uh, it's going to get a lot of notice. Hopefully, it will stimulate donations and support. And Tim Ferriss is great. You know, I really enjoyed, uh, really enjoyed the interview. He's an excellent interviewer. Uh, I should probably, uh, I'm sure you'd like me to recommend you and I'd be happy to. Uh, so yeah, definitely. Uh, that would, that would be fantastic. I'm a huge fan of Tim Ferriss. He's been pivotal in my own journey. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. and I, I, I've credited, the existence of Soltara to him because it was his first book that really sent me on my own entrepreneurial journey and changed the way I thought about uh, uh, life and work and travel and everything like that. So, I mean, yeah, absolutely. If, uh, if you guys had a good conversation and you feel like you can put in a good word, that would be. I, I would, I would feel comfortable doing that uh not a problem uh but then he may not you know he may not uh, respond to it you know it's hard of to course. say yeah. like for example joe rogan people are always asking me can you get can you get me on joe rogan well i don't have an inside <laughs> track you know yeah and nobody i've recommended to joe that that they come on. He's never paid any attention to it. So, right, yeah. I, you know, but Tim seems more open and, uh, certainly, uh, I'm happy to mention it. And, you know, I'm proud of our association. I mean, I mm. feel like Saltera is doing their best, doing the right thing in very difficult times. So, well, there's also, you know, uh, some other mutual friends in the mix there. So I'm sure he's probably heard my name at some point or the other through Kyle Kingsbury or oh, yeah. Marcus or, or For anybody, sure. those guys, you know. So anyways, yeah. just wayward comment. But um, I'm sure it'll all work out as planned. It'll all work out in the end. And we're all going to be a, just a big, happy community of good friends all trying to make their mark and change the world, right? So doing our best. You know, sometimes I just have to remind I, myself, whatever is happening, it's this is the universe unfolding exactly the way it's supposed to be. So that's, I take reassurance in that, you know, so. Right on. So how are people finding you in the the academy? If uh, you're obviously, you uh, accept donations, it's a nonprofit, right? Yes. And, um, yeah, we have so. a, we can accept donations of all kinds, including cryptocurrency. I think they're setting that up. So just go to www.mckenna.academy and we'll all be there for you. And you can look at our events and resources and so on. All of these events are recorded. So in, in most cases, even if they're months old, you can still watch these events. So, so oh, yeah, there's, there's, 
a lot of material there and we're adding material all the time. So, And you're on Facebook, not Instagram. We're on Facebook, we're on Instagram, we're on Twitter. I've, I've got people and maybe a couple others, but those are the three. Uh, fortunately, I don't have to handle the social media, <laughs> but we've got people doing that and making the posts. So yes, we're on all those platforms. So, And how do people, uh, what's, the, uh, what's the handle on those platforms? Just McKenna Academy? Yeah, just search on McKenna Academy and it'll come up. Great. Okay, my friends. Uh, right. Well, thank you again so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Great to see you and to hear from you and get an update. Uh, yeah, it's been it's been a while. So it has been a while. You're looking well. Well, uh, me and Jesse, you know, we're just uh, we just recorded our debut album. Uh, we oh. made a we made a rock slash metal album here in Costa Rica with one of our old. Uh, guitar heroes from the 90s came down to produce an album for us so you know we've been hitting the gym and trying to get all buff because we got a photo shoot tomorrow and uh we're gonna start touring the world and playing some music so well that sounds um, that's great Daniel. we've got we've got our health and we've got our uh, we've got our happiness that's (laughs) can't do better than that the daniel cleland podcast thank you so much for joining us today for the Daniel Cleveland podcast. We truly enjoy you sharing your time with us. If you enjoyed the episode as much as we enjoyed sharing it with you, please like the episode, review the podcast, subscribe. If you're not already subscribed, these likes and reviews and subscriptions are the lifeblood of our show. So, Free for you, super important for us. Like, subscribe, and review. Thank you so much. Of course, this podcast would not be possible without the continued amazing sponsorship of Soltara Healing Center in Costa Rica. If you feel called to work with plant medicines, ayahuasca, shamanismo, curanderismo from Peru, from the Peruvian Amazons to Costa Rica. Check out Soltara Healing Center at soltara.co or conveniently 1-800-397-1730 or look us up on social media at Soltara Healing Center. All kinds of great content, nonstop coming out down the pike every day just for you thanks again so much for joining i appreciate it beyond words and i look forward to doing many more of these episodes for you and connecting if you want to reach out to me there's a contact form on my website danielcleland.com feel free to hit me up i read every email and try to respond to all of them. Thanks again. Much love to you. And I hope we get to catch up soon. All the best.